0: You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast
1: of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to the Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I'm the Miracle Hunter and creator of the website MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. Now, Tomorrow, of course, is one of the greatest Marian feasts in our Catholic Church, that of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, celebrated on July 16th around the world. It's also the wedding anniversary of a couple of my best friends, so just wanted to wish you a happy anniversary. Now, many people out there, many Catholics, wear the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, so tomorrow's feast is an important one for the faithful. Not many people know the story of the apparition to St. Simon's Stock, in which the scapular was given, or much about Carmelite spirituality, so... We're going to clear some of that up today. We're going to be talking to Father Kieran Kavanaugh from the Institute of Carmelite Studies. and He's going to give us a little bit of the background and history of the devotion to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, what it's like being a Carmelite. So, and of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a Catholic trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world on today. July 15th, in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. This week in Miracle News, we have a story coming from uh, Zambaonga del Sur in the Philippines, and you may have seen this on YouTube, but uh, there was a three-year-old girl who woke up at her own funeral service, Now, video footage of the toddler shows her waking up in her coffin during her own funeral on Sunday in the Philippines. And that was posted online and went viral around the world. The uh, senior police officer, Inspector Hidalgo Tilin told the Philippine Star that one of the mourners removed the cover of the coffin to arrange the remains. And she saw the girl's head move, and this prompted them to check and confirm that the girl had a pulse and was alive. That's what the quote was told to the newspaper, and he said that the girl's parents took her to receive medical attention and then returned home with her. Um, The girl had been experiencing a severe fever for days and been had taken to a medical clinic on Friday, where she was pronounced dead on Saturday morning. The video showed that the mourners at the funeral on Sunday were in quite a state of shock, as you can imagine, as the girl's father picked her up from the coffin and took her home. So that's the Miracle News story for this week. And to keep up to date with the latest in Miracle News, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on the latest miracles and news stories, links to past radio episode podcasts, updates on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. And now it's time for Catholic Pub Trivia. Each week I'll be asking you a trivia question and giving out a prize for a caller that gets the right answer. This week we're going to be giving away another framed image of a piece of artwork called The Faces of Mary. It's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a large, beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child. You can check it out if you go to the MiracleHunter.com homepage. Trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia, an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host Trivia Night fundraisers at local establishments. And for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. Now we try to always keep the questions related to the theme of the day's program, and today, of course, we're going to be talking about Our Lady of Mount Carmel. So the question is, what term refers to early liberation from purgatory through the special intercession of the Virgin Mary, which she exercises preferentially on Saturday? That question again, what term refers to early liberation from purgatory through the special intercession of the Virgin Mary, which she exercises preferentially on Saturday? And we'll see if you have the right answer to the question. Now it's time to reach into the mailbag or the email inbox, as it were, for the question of the day from one of our listeners. The question goes like this. Dear Miracle Hunter, I enjoyed your program about Our Lady of Akita. I have heard that the Akita statue was the first ever to bleed. Is this true? God bless, Stephen. Well, hi Stephen, thanks for your excellent question. I appreciate you listening to the program a couple weeks ago and for those who didn't catch the show, uh we talked about a statue uh made of wood in the style of Our Lady of All Nations that um, over the course of years began to bleed and and shed human tears, and it was scientifically tested and approved by the local bishop. This was quite an amazing phenomenon. This happened in the 1970s. Most of the events happened in 1973. And as I mentioned, the events were investigated and were actually approved by the local bishop. So fascinating stuff. Um, So, Stephen, I've heard this claim before that the Akita statue was the very first bleeding image well, uh, that claim is simply not true. Uh, it's definitely more typical for an icon to cry tears of oil or myrrh, and there have been cases of Our Lady, a or, or statue of Our Lady crying and them testing it and finding it to be human tears. That, that has indeed happened. But there have also been numbers of others of statues throughout history and icons that have bled. One example is the weeping Virgin Mary from Hungary in the year 1717, um, I'm going to read a little bit of this. During the Turkish occupation of the late 1600s, the town of Salopafeydala in northeastern Hungary was destroyed and deserted. Not long after the area was resettled, a painting of the Madonna and Child in their village perspired and wept bloody tears from January 6th to February 16th, 1717. The investigating bishop took the picture to Eger, which is in Hungary, where it stayed in the Franciscan Church, where it became the object of an annual pilgrimage on the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. Lost to the faithful after communist interventions, the original weeping image was located in 1969 in a church in the Diocese of Pesce, where a friar had taken it for safety. In 1973, 256 years later, the weeping Virgin Mary statue was returned to the Church of the Visitation in Sahopalosalat, in Hungary. So that's just one story of the many stories of crying and bleeding icons that we have in our Church's history. And uh, thank you, Stephen, for that question. Uh, that, that is an interesting one. And for those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on the program, or my research on miracles, please visit MiracleHunter.com. Now it's time for 365 Days with Mary. Each week we'll be doing a segment entitled 365 Days with Mary. Now for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world, there is a Marian title, a feast, or commemoration for an apparition or other miraculous event that is being celebrated. It never ceases to amaze me how much the world loves the Mother of God and honors her throughout the year. All the dates with their feasts are collected into one resource, 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features images, a description, and history of the feast day. The project's available in print in the form of a daily engagement calendar, daily planner, as well as online at 365dayswithmary.com. They're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like them, you'll automatically receive information about each feast day and learn more about our Blessed Mother and how she is honored around the world. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook, and visit the website, 365dayswithmary.com, to see the project. The print version in the form of a daily organizer makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. Now, of course, tomorrow's great feast is that of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. But for today, we have a different commemoration to look at. On July 2nd, uh, July 15th in the modern calendar, in 1739... Reverend Danili Vasilev was moving hay toward his church in Akhaterka, Russia, when he saw an icon in the tall grass. It was blindingly radiant. The image depicted the Mother of God contemplating her son's crucifixion. For three years, he kept the icon in his house in a room of its own. Then again, he saw light around the painting, and the Holy Mother appeared to him in a dream, instructing him to dust off the icon, to wash it, and to cover it. He immediately woke up and began to follow her instructions. As he was carrying the wash water to the river, the mother of God told him to use it to bless the sick instead, and they would be healed. His daughter drank some of the water and soon recovered from her illness. After several other miracles, the empress ordered an investigation, which concluded, and the, in 1759, it concluded, this icon is to be venerated as miracle-working. Under the Soviet regime, the icon went into exile and now is in the care of the Russian Orthodox Archdiocese of Australia and New Zealand, headquartered in Croydon. The feast day of the miracle-working icon of Akhtira is July 2nd or July 15th in the modern calendar. And that was today's feast. Be sure to visit the project 365 Days with Mary on Facebook and online at 365dayswithmary.com to find out more about this devotion or any of the hundreds of other Marian devotions celebrated around the world. And this is Michael O'Neill. You are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. We will be talking with Father Kieran Kavanaugh from the Institute of Carmelite Studies. And we're going to be discussing, of course, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Her feast day is tomorrow. And we'll find out a little bit about the history today. So welcome to the program today, Father Kieran. Thank you. Well, we're very happy to have you on the program, Father Kieran, yes. and excited uh, to talk about Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Um, now, you're you're at the Institute of Carmelite Studies, is that correct? Yes, I am. Tell tell the tell the listeners a little bit about the institute there and what you do at the institute.
0: Well, the institute is for the purpose of uh, it's a gathering of scholars from the order for the purpose of promoting and investigating matters concerning caramelized spirituality but mostly we we started out with a a publishing event and so we published the story of a soul by Saint Thérèse of Lisieux and uh, of Saint John, the collected works of Saint John of the Cross and then all of Saint Teresa's works and um and then we're bringing out books about Elizabeth of the Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity and Edith Stein, her work. So we have a lot of Carmelites to come out with, and we have a lot of books that we've printed in order to promote the interest in Carmelite spirituality.
1: Absolutely, and there's so many great saints who were Carmelites. Uh, so you have many, many great writings to choose from in your publications. So yes. uh, I'm sure that's. Uh, that, that that keeps you busy uh, getting those publications out. And uh, one thing, many, uh, many Catholics uh, wear the brown scapular, and, uh, of course, honor Our Lady of Mount Carmel on July 16th. Uh, maybe you can tell the listeners a little bit of the story of St. Simon Stock and how the brown scapular was first conferred uh, to him, and also how the devotion first began.
0: Well, I should go back, first of all, to the... Carmelites on Mount Carmel, they were hermits who gathered there to live, and um, in the 1200s and then in 1230, around, in the center of the hermitage they built a chapel, because they decided that they must have mass together every day, and also um, so that was, and then the office, they said, the divine office, they said each day, and so they had this they built this chapel, but then what should they call it? Who should be the patronage? patroness? Because in those days, uh, if you chose a patroness for your church, that meant that you were to serve her, and she promised to protect you. And so it was like the the liege. Huh? And uh, so they, they mm. um, consecrated the chapel then to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and then they were they came to be known as the Brother Hermits of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And that's where the name Carmelite comes from then, from Mount Carmel. And that's how the name of Our Lady of Mount Carmel came about, because it was the chapel that was built there as the center. And and then the uh, Carmelites always took Our Lady as the mother of the lady that they must serve. And they called her not only Mother, but her, their sister because they were brothers of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and so she was our sister as well as our mother and um, then too that she promised in this uh, by their service of her that she would protect them and that's how the, the idea of uh, the protection was certainly a salvation that she promised them salvation in that way but then uh the The question of Saint Simon Stock was very popular because this is how the story of the scapular got around, and um, they thought that, that uh, and so the story was told that Saint Simon Stock, who was the general and was having many troubles, and he then uh, dedicated the order to Our Lady and asked for her special help and and uh so then she gave him this scapular and uh promised that those who would wear it would you know, would be protected by her would die in the state of grace and um so this was the story that was popular up until 1950s and 60s and then when they began to investigate all these saints and who was authentic and who wasn't authentic saint Simon Stock ran into trouble because we don't know anything about specifically about his life. So then some were trying to get rid of the scapular and uh, throw out everything. But um, in time and investigation, well, we see that this was the custom that um, the, the mendicant orders and the Benedictine orders had a way in which they would incorporate the laity who were devoted to the, that order into their spirituality and uh, received the benefits of that order, and that's how the Franciscans through the cord. Then they would have a part of the habit to remind them of that. And the Franciscans had the cord, and the the um, Augustinians had a cincture. The Benedictines were the first in the nine nine hundreds. That far back but then the, when the mendicants came about and the dominicans the rosary and the carmelites ended up with the scapular this was the, the uh, it was a sacramental then it became a sacramental in the church and the church has approved the devotion and even the uh, sabbatine privilege and uh, so that the the well I should explain first the, the devotion and the, the um so that the uh, the um then the the privilege that was promised to the laity that would die wearing their scapular that Our Lady would preserve them from the fires of hell, and so it became a very popular devotion. But
1: uh, and can you tell can you tell the little, the listeners a little bit about uh, the uh, requirements in requiring this in in wearing the scapular? How, who who is well, who is protected? Who benefits from when they wear the scapular?
0: Well, they all you—it's uh, an easy, easy devotion because all you have to do is wear the scapular. But it should be a sacramental to remind you of Our Lady's presence in your life and of your consecration to her. So that's what it's supposed to remind us of. It's not just a um, like a magic something magic. No, right. it doesn't work that way. It's by devotion to Our Lady, which it reminds you of, and that that way she will protect you. And just as that promise of uh, being, she was made, the uh, the chapel was named after her, so she would protect them and they would um, they would honor her and serve her. And that's what the, the scapular is just a, a, a small cloth that's hung over the, Part is on the front, and the the other is uh, other part is on the back, and uh, so that's the reminder of Our Lady's presence in your life, and that's what the promise is connected with, and then the Sabbatine pro- promise that was by Pope uh, John the Twenty Second, and um, so he had a vision, and uh, so that then Our Lady promised that those who wear it piously will uh, die on the Saturday after their uh and die when they they die on the or they will go to heaven on the Saturday after their death. So that would, and that's
1: and that's where the word sabbatine comes in correct the, referring to Saturday.
0: Saturday sabbato sabato is the Latin word for Saturday. So sabbatine privilege is the Saturday privilege. And um so that was another but uh, the church has approved uh, both uh, these um uh, uh, these devotions and it's always it's still very uh, very solid spirituality to trust in our lady for your salvation and to wear this uh, sign devoutly through your life and uh and trusting in her and then too it's a, uh, it's not a, a devotion that needs a lot of words there are no words connected with it or things to do all you have to do is wear it it's a silent devotion it can remind us of of our silent prayer that we should be practicing every day and uh our prayer the uh the silence and prayer that is necessary that we have to listen to god we have to listen to Our Lady, and our prayer life, because Carmelites are also famous for their teachings on prayer. That's why we have so many saints. They've all written books and taught us wonderful things about the life of prayer and the spiritual life.
1: Absolutely. And this this is Michael O'Neill, and you're listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. We're joined today by Father Kieran Kavanaugh from the Institute of Carmelite Studies. For more information on this program, Please visit miraclehunter dot com now father Kieran um most Catholic uh bookstores and um and churches will carry a brown scapular. If people are looking to purchase a scapular or obtain a scapular. What's the best way for them to to get a, a scapular and they should have it blessed I assume as well
0: well, you only need it blessed once and then uh, whenever you get a new one, you really don't need it blessed and uh so the and anybody can bless it. You don't need a Carmelite to bless it. <laughs> and um, so that's the... And uh, most, any Catholic bookstore or the, any Catholic store, they all have scapulars, okay. religious articles. They have scapulars among their religious articles. So it's not it's not difficult to find a scapular.
1: So they're easy to find and they're easy to use. You don't need a special prayer or anything no, to uh no. be involved with the devotion. That's no. great. It's just and uh father you, you, you touched on this briefly, uh Saint Simon Stock it perhaps the uh apparition uh to, to him in Aylesford, England was legendary. Um or at least that's what
0: some that's scholars the, seem to point read. to. It developed out of legend and they don't know too much about, but that doesn't uh, they're not absolutely certain, but uh you can't say definitely that he re- that he received this, but
1: I don't know. That's the way it is now. And, sure. and uh, has anybody come up with uh, any other history to the brown scapular as far as where it may have originally stemmed from? If it weren't from Saint Simon Stock. Well,
0: it it, probably, it came from the uh, uh, the custom that there was as see because that goes back to the 12th century and you just have you don't have documents for this or anything but uh it the custom was that people wanted to be assured of salvation and the way they could, the only way they could do it is in some way to connect with a religious order because this right. was the that's how you became a, a saint in those days huh? by becoming a religious that was the thought and, uh, so that, um, so how could they be connected with the religious order and get its privileges? Well, it was by wearing something that was the same, uh, that the really particular religious group had. It depended on what group you were interested in, and, um, uh, so that, uh, as I said, the, the Franciscans had the cord and the, uh, Augustinians had a cincture and, uh. The Dominicans had the rosary, and these were ways in which they could uh, become like members of the order then and participate in its privileges. And so the Carmelites had the privilege of the scapular that Our Lady gave them, and then uh, the Church allowed it for the whole Church, and for anyone who wants
1: to. Absolutely. Now, Father, this this might be kind of a silly question, but... Uh... Throughout the course of my life, I've seen many different scapulars of many different sizes. The ones that most people wear are smaller ones that, that hide underneath their clothing, but I've also seen large scapulars that uh, are very prominent. What's what's the difference when, when you see these different types of scapulars? It, it,
0: it, there's no rule about the size, but like the third order or the secular Carmelites who live in the world. They wear a larger one when they come to the meetings, but they don't wear them all the time, and there are uh, many different scapulars. There are a number of different colors and different kinds of scapulars, and so we call ours the brown scapular. That's the it's the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, because there are other colors like the green scapular, supposed to help for conversion, and there are other scapulars too
1: yeah sure no, there are many different colors of scapulars, and yeah perhaps perhaps the the brown Carmelite scapular is there, or a lady of Mount Carmel is the original one that the others followed thereafter
0: probably uh, yeah, yeah,
1: now one thing father that uh, has always interested me is uh Carmelite spirituality um maybe we could talk a little bit about this today uh talk a little bit about what uh makes Carmelite spirituality unique and and what, what can you what can you tell somebody who's heard a little bit about of it but wants to learn more? Well, I think
0: that uh, with Carmelite spirituality, you have to look that they were hermits in the beginning, and so they lived a life of prayer. And uh, so then later on, we because of the situation in Europe, we had to become like mendicants, and so our, we didn't uh, concentrate solely on a life of prayer, but did some ministry as well but usually in the ministry we also stress the the prayer life and that's our our main ministry is to teach people how to pray and to encourage them in prayer and uh so we have the wonderful writings of both St. Teresa and St. John of the Cross to start us off with cuz they they're classics and um anybody looking for any and then, well, St. Therese, too, of Lisieux, and uh, so those three can be of a, anyone of any uh, temperament can find their answers in, their, in those books if they read them seriously. And, um, but then there are others, too, like uh, Elizabeth of the Trinity or Edith Stein is more, she's much more uh, scholarly, uh, she's a real philosopher. And so she's more difficult to read, but anyway, she's very good for those who, who, can. So you have to, when you read the Carmelites, then you you almost get a spirit of prayer from reading them. They teach you how to pray, and and they have a whole way of speaking that that leads you into prayer. But prayer is basically a fr- friendship with God. That's what it is. It's friendship with God. God invites us into His friendship. And to be with him, and and to take some time off from in our in our busy day each day to spend some time in prayer with God. It's some time for silence. We need silence in this noisy world, and each person can have a, a, a like a 15 minutes or a half hour a day in which they go into silence in their room and there be with God. And remember his presence, and that he loves them, and that he wants you to love him in return, and you give him that time out of love and uh then and the prayer grows, you grow, you get the habit of prayer, and then it becomes easier as you go along and then there are times when it's called the dark night, and then that it becomes very difficult and and uh, you don't want to pray, and you want to just do something else but then you have to persevere in that too because God is purifying you prayer is not only our work it's God's work too in us it's the work you mentioned
1: father oh, you mentioned the dark night of the soul and that was yeah. one thing that I want to make sure that I talked to you about today because yeah. you hear that term being thrown around and you know we have uh St John of the Cross and his uh, beautiful writings on that and and I think uh everyone goes through uh dark times and not not as extreme in some cases of as saints who have uh, gone through a complete spiritual dryness, but um, can, you, can you tell the listeners a little bit about sort of the history of the uh, writings on the Dark Night of the Soul and what that truly means and how that's applied to people's lives uh, as Catholics? Well,
0: St. John of the Cross, is the, uh, he used that symbol because he was a poet and he wrote his poem, One dark night, fired with love's urgent longings, I went out unseen, now my house being now all at rest, and it goes on like that, his, his poem on the dark night. But then they asked him to write, because he wrote beautiful poetry. And then people began to ask, well, what does this mean? Explain it to us. So then he wrote his commentaries. And in his commentary, he took that symbol of a dark night, whatever he was talking about, and he explains then what he's talking about, and he explains the whole spiritual life under this one symbol of the dark night, or, well, uh, well, he goes on and the rest of the poem, uh, treats of things um, other than the dark night, but a big part of the journey is the dark night, and the dark night is the deprivation of consolation, because when you start out in prayer, you can be very consoled and very enthusiastic about it, but after it goes on for a while, You lose your enthusiasm, and you don't feel like doing it, and you give it up. And many people give up the practice of prayer because they don't persevere through this dark night. What is dark night? Dark night is the absence of light. So uh, in the spiritual life, it's the absence of consolation. That's what's taken away. God is present with you. He's loving you. He's communicating himself to you, but he does so in darkness. And you don't see him, you don't feel him, you don't, you're just uh, bored. You're just bored and you want to do something else. And you take a book or something to read mm-hmm. and, and you try to distract yourself. But no, he, write, he wrote this book to encourage us. Here's where we need perseverance because this is really God's work in you. Not, uh, it's just not
1: uh, of your own making. Absolutely, and I think uh, the writings of these great saints uh, inspire many people to be interested in Carmelite spirituality and to make that a part of their own life of faith. And Father, I've heard you mention it earlier in the show, but I've, I've known people and, and heard of this before. Uh, third or, third Order Carmelite, yeah. can you explain a little bit what that is? How come yeah. there are different orders, and what, what does a person do when they... How do they join, and what, what do they do once they've joined uh, as a Third Order Carmelite?
0: We used to call them third orders, but now we call them secular Carmelites, and uh, the, so the initials after their name is OCDS. And uh, so, if they're interested in Carmelite spirituality, they have to find a group that um, uh, that's near them where they can attend the meetings. The meetings are once a month, and they'll you have a formation period in which You study together, or study alone, and while you're waiting for to make your promises, because in the end you have to make promises and uh, the first promises, and then the final promises, and then if you want vows, you can add. And uh, so that's a long; it's a long process. It takes five years to complete the formation, the spiritual formation in which you. Learning are taught about the Carmelite spirituality, particularly, but all uh, that includes all spirituality really, and um, so that's that's the way it is. And then they, then you become a member of the order. You're called, but you, that doesn't mean that you change your life. You're, if you're married, you stay married, or if you're single, you stay single, and. Um, You live in the world, you keep your job and everything, but you live as secular Carmelite. That means you live as a Carmelite. You belong to the order of Carmel. And um, so you live your Carmelite life in your home. You adapt it to your schedule, your work, and so on. And that means at least a half hour of prayer every day, of mental prayer, which Teresa calls friendship. It means being taking time to be alone with Him, who we know loves us, and uh, so she develops that friendship very beautifully. And that's what we do with Christ. We grow in this. We grow in the love of Christ through the practice of prayer, and um, we get insight into how we can better our lives and so on. So this is uh, it's to promote prayer among the secular Carmelites, the secular to the people in the world, living in the world, but you have to say, sanctify that. But what we need now is a lot of the people, and we need to convert people in the world to a more religious, spiritual life. That's what's missing in our Catholic Church, that people don't, they, don't, uh, they just live on the surface, but we need a lot, and there are a lot of people who live very deep spiritual lives, and our members of our order, they're secular Carmelites, and um, so uh, I think if you if you uh, want to find out find out if you know anybody near you, or if you know of any group near you, then you can just go and join them. But you can just ask them you tell them you're interested, and they'll they'll have you come back, and they'll they'll teach you and everything. But um, if you can't find uh, a place near you you write you can uh, write to our uh central office or you can call our central office and, and they'll give you the address of a community you can um, you can contact and
1: um, and what's the number there father if somebody does want to call in and and find out more is
0: um, um the o c d s uh, the here it's, our,
1: or if you have a website,
0: yeah, yeah we have a website too. The uh, um, theos, Oth- oh no, that's not the number here.
1: I've got, um, and that's okay, Father. We'll uh, we'll look up the number and we'll I post a, it uh, on the website so yeah, people you can, look can find it. On the website, yeah, they have sure. a good website. Okay, so, very good, and uh, Father. Um, we're, we're just just one one final segment here, and we're listening to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show today with Father Kieran Kavanaugh from the Institute of Carmelite Studies. And uh, you quoted a, a couple of saints already, Father uh, Saint John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned that you are, are involved with the publication of uh, the writings of many Carmelite saints. Yes, tell us, Father, who is your favorite Carmelite saint, or whose writings? speak the most to you in your life of faith and, and who might you recommend uh, people reading about?
0: Well, I liked... Uh, I, when I was young, I, I liked St. John of the Cross much, and he he's the one who helped me the most. But then when I started translating St. Teresa, I got to know her much better, and I got to like her very much. So now I, I have a high regard for St. Teresa. And then last... You think it'll be first for many people. She's first, but Saint Therese of Lisieux is great. And um, but you have to understand her because she's the, you get the the flowery language of a little girl, and uh, that so that turns a lot of men off or people off. But uh, others penetrate through that and get to the deep message there. The it's great, because she lived her whole life in Carmel in great aridity, and yet she was growing in the love of God so powerfully and strong. And uh, so she became this great, great lover of God. And uh, so those are the
1: the three who have influenced me most. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that experience with us. And uh, Father Kieran, um, tell us one more time... Um, Uh, the Institute of Carmelite Studies. Can you tell us a little bit for those just tuning in what the Institute does there and where people can find out more information?
0: Well, we we promote the studies and the works of our saints, and that's why we started the publishing operation here, to promote the works of our saints. And we have many, many saints, uh, and uh, we're doing them all, and we have a lot more coming. And... uh, That's our main work here, to to promote Carmelite spirituality. That's the purpose of the Institute.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us today, Father. And this has been Father Kieran Kavanaugh of the ICS Publications, and your website is icspublications.org. So thank you so much for being with us today, Father, and sharing your insights. Yeah. All right. Bye. And that was... Father Kieran Kavanaugh from the Institute of Carmelite Studies. Uh, you, can, you can find out more about the, uh, his publication, House, at icspublications.org. And for those just joining the program, you're listening to the Miracle, Miracle Hunter radio show. And uh, for more information um, on our trivia question earlier, I'm going to reread it. Uh, we had a caller with the right answer who called in during the, tri- during the interview segment. And that question was, what term refers to early liberation from purgatory through the special intercession of the Virgin Mary, which she exercises preferentially on Saturday? And as Father Kieran mentioned during the program, the answer is the Sabbatine privilege. And the word Sabbatine comes from the word Sabbath, or Saturday in Latin. The Carmelite Order made the special claim to this privilege with wearing the bronze scapular and as he mentioned earlier, that if somebody uh, died uh, with the scapular on, they would be taken to heaven on the following uh, Sunday, So, or the following Saturday, I'm sorry. So that was the Sabatine Privilege, and the caller with the right answer was Nancy. So thank you, Nancy, for calling in, and we will be sending you out an image of the faces of Mary. So thank you very much for calling in for that. And for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. And that's all the time we have for today's program. I'd like to thank our guest today, Father Karen Kavanaugh from the Institute of Carmelite Studies, for joining us. Be sure to visit MiracleHunter.com as your resource for miracles, and keep up to date with how Our Lady is honored around the world at 365dayswithMary.com. Thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt.
0: You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice
1: in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.